Good evening, everybody, and welcome to a wall of cha- the Wall of Champions, an F1 podcast. And I'd say, and Greg, but th- we've been dogged. There's, there's uh, no loose, no Greg, and instead we're joined by Matt. And uh, I'm actually quite thankful for that because I think we can get through a lot of stuff tonight. Good evening, Matt. Good evening, Webby. How you going? Oh, look, mate. You know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling lonely. You know, we've been, uh, we've been scummed by uh, Greg and Loose, and. Uh, and they are also the reason that we didn't broadcast last night either. So well, what are we supposed to do here? Like we're trying That's to, okay. We're, we're a top to, team. Yeah, we're, we're trying to run a professional organization and this is what you get. So anyway, let's uh, let's go right on. And since the last time we spoke, which was before Texas, quite a bit's happened. Uh, obviously, the, the US Grand Prix and uh, the uh, shortcutting the track and then complaining about the penalty controversy. And of course, we, we, uh, we crowned a new world champion. And then just today which was actually quite serendipitous that we delayed uh, the telecast until today because we saw the en- engine regulations for for, uh, for 20, uh, 2021 released. But uh, we'll start with uh, with the United States Grand Prix. And um, I, guess, I guess, Matt, it was one of those things where we desperately needed uh, Sebastian Vettel to win that race to keep the championship even with a breath left in its lungs. Uh, but it wasn't to be, but it was a cracking drive from Hamilton who had to overtake two cars to win the race. Yeah, well, I thought um, the whole race was, was really enjoyable to watch. There was plenty of action uh, for most of it. And um, yeah, it was pretty exciting to watch Seb get the jump on Lewis at the start. I was like, oh, hopefully he can hang on here. But um, I think, yeah, he got hurt a little bit by Friday. Um, didn't do too much running. And then... Um, yeah, he's. I think even if you compare him to Raikkonen, he he wasn't quite keeping his tires in as well. Um, so in the end, they had to put him on an alternate strategy towards the end, and he he got back up luckily just to keep the title alive to um to the next one, Mexico. But um, yeah, no, Hamilton was class of his own again uh, in America, and um, full marks to him for another great drive and also another dominant drive over his teammate. Yeah, I think it's pretty fair to say that um, at the back half of this year since the summer break, uh, I mean, I've been, I've watched pretty much every race of Lewis Hamilton's career. I can't think of one I missed. Um, and he's driving the best I've ever seen him drive, for sure. Yeah, and, and I think he went through a list of reasons in an interview for why that is. Um, I think he said he went vegan was one of them. And um, the, other, the other thing he mentioned was Rosberg. But he he mentioned Rosberg's name in in the sense that well the team doesn't have a toxic atmosphere anymore therefore I'm driving better, which yeah. is not really the case. He's he's been in the team where he's under no pressure to to really beat his teammate because it's not been a, an issue for him this year, and um, he's been able to drive without that uh, without those games being played and without that consistent pressure of having to be on top every quality, every race. Yeah, and I think it's and, very I think it's very easy to forget that up until the summer break, Vettel was leading the championship. So it's not like it's been a runaway victory for Hamilton. It's just that the chips have fallen his way since the summer break. And he certainly, as I said, he's driving the best I've ever seen him drive. But that also comes on the back of, you know, Ferrari having some incredibly bad luck. Yeah, and I, I don't know if we'll probably talk about this later when we discuss Mexico, but the value of this championship in Lewis Hamilton's four championships, where where does this sit? 
And I think that's a pretty interesting question that, you know, a lot of people have a lot of different views on. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll probably come to that uh, when we get to Mexico. But but definitely, he's driving good. Like there's there's no there's no doubt about that. He's consistently smashing Bottas, and um, yeah. yeah, Bottas is not an idiot really. So. And, and he's been he's been killing it on on the on Saturday. So uh, you know, clear you know the what we've seen since the summer break is that the Mercedes has been um, very dominant on Saturdays. Or at least, I think all year, to yeah. be honest. Like, even Ferrari won quite regularly in the first part of the year, but Mercedes on pole, Melbourne. Yeah, I know. But I think that the 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 theme of the season for me has been that Mercedes have had to do the business on Saturday because they haven't at most races they haven't had the best car on Sunday. They've been reliant yeah. on qualifying at the front. And then holding position. That was certainly true at Russia for Bottas, for example. Um, he wasn't even on pole for that one. But yeah, yeah but he, he did. Got, he he did just make start, it. Yeah. 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 So you, you've had a number of situations this year where Mercedes have had have held station on Saturday and then got the result on Sunday through through um, you know through <laughs> through merely being in front. And what we've seen this year is that it's harder to overtake with these wider cars. They got more drag. All those kinds of things. The DRS hasn't been as effective. Um, the there's been a there's been a convergence of power unit performance between three of the manufacturers at least. Um, and <laughs> they've, well, but we'll, I mean we'll get to McLaren and Honda. But um, you know that the, there's been a convergence there, and it's been much tighter racing. But we've also seen less overtaking. I for one don't have a problem with that. I, I think that the quality of racing this year has probably been superior to what we've seen in the previous three seasons of the hybrid era yeah it's uh, yeah it's more about close close competition is what you want to see because absolutely there, there will be overtaking like whether it's a lot or not a lot there will always be overtaking and and i think when you've got close competition when you do get a rare overtake or a, a season defining overtake or you see something special then it makes it makes it more like just makes it more special yeah, definitely. Than, than what it otherwise would have been in in a race of a series of DRS assisted overtakes, and then one guy does a, a good one. Um, yeah, I think just having that one in a really tight, tightly fought season with a lot of competition that that makes it special. So, well, I was, I was also going to say that it's also this season, <clears throat> to a certain extent, for the first time in a while, has seen the the return of the art of defence as well where drivers have had more in their armory to actually defend position because it hasn't been as easy to slip past somebody yeah. in the DRS zone. And Mexico was a pretty good example of that, I think. Oh, it was a beautiful, Dawson, it was a beautiful really. segue. It's a beautiful segue into talking about the end of the United States Grand Prix, of course, where we saw on the last lap the, infam the now infamous overtake oh, yeah, that as Max, well, yeah. Max Verstappen <laughs> on Kimi Raikkonen. And um, I'll ask you your opinion on that, but I'll give you mine first, which yeah, is yeah, to say that, well, it's, it, it's um, I don't care who you are, what driver you are, what the position you're fighting for is, you do not, you're not allowed to overtake a car by shortcutting the track effectively, um, regardless of what your reasoning may be. If, you, if, if you're saying, um, you know, the argument of saying, you know, Kimi forced him to the inside, well, that's just, that's just racing. You don't get to shortcut the track to gain position. Um, and to me, that's an even, that's an even more, even though by the rules, it's the same, it's a more heinous crime than running wide on the exit, the game position to actually dive down the inside of somebody and, and, and take that inside line by shortcutting the track. 
I think is um is is unacceptable, and I think the right penalty was applied. Um, certainly, I think if it wasn't the last lap, Max would have someone would have been on a radio straight away telling Max that he needs to give that position back. So uh, anyway, that was my feeling of it. I don't want to see the racing get sanitized, but you do have to draw the line at guys, you know, effectively, you know, shortcutting the track to gain advantage. You, you really can't have that happen. Yeah, I I think with hindsight, I can agree with the decision. Um, I think where it divides everyone is whether it's consistent or not, obviously. Um, oh, that's a, that's a whole separate and, argument. And that, yeah, yeah, that is a whole separate argument. And I think if you, you were to take that on its merits, yeah, it's a penalty. I mean, I've, I remember one of the races I did not long ago, I passed somebody off track under yellows. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> but, um, a, that's a double whammy. Well, I mean... after, after yellows, actually. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but um, when, you're, when you're in the heat of the moment there and, and you have to go off track to make an overtake, you're... And, and, you know, um, the argument that Kimi did move over, in, in Max's head, that will, that will be more than enough reason for him to, to make that dive and to, to attempt the overtake. Because in his head, it's all, it's all just bravery and it's all just in the, in the moment of being in a racing situation. Yep. Um, but when you're looking at it from the outside and there are clear guidelines um, for for what is defined as the track and what isn't. Um, I think that situation, and Charlie Whiting said in the driver's briefing or something that, um, or was it him? I think it was Kimi actually, he might have said it. But it's it's all about lasting advantage. And he he definitely got a lasting advantage by putting all four wheels over the track there. So it's a shame. It really is a shame and it was fantastic. It was a great overtake. I think... If he's half a meter to the left, he still makes the overtake. Probably, maybe he scrubs side pods with Kimi, but he'll still make it. Yeah. So it it was a great move, but unfortunately, you have to draw the line somewhere. And for him, it just fell like that. But I mean, on Twitter, if you have a look, at least it's amongst um, uh, ex drivers and pundits and all that. The, the, honestly, it was divided fifty fifty. Yeah. Because even like Mark Webber was on Channel Four going, "Yeah, it was a shit decision." Like. Yeah, Mark's pretty straight shooter, but and he knows the rules as well, and even he's it, like, I mean, oh, it's a shit decision." Like, yeah. there's two schools of thought, right? Which is to saying you want to see the you want to see a race, you want to see the drivers battle, but if you if you allow a creep to happen where you start allowing the and we've actually discussed this during the season, uh, particularly after Hungary with the you know with the with the coming with together of Hulkenberg and Magnussen and those kinds of things, is that. If you allow this kind of creep to happen, where you keep giving the drivers and you know millimeters of margin to race in, sooner or later you are going to have somebody gain position by you know doing something completely outrageous, and then you penalize them for it, and then they completely they don't understand a penalty and they lash yeah. out at the sport yeah. for it. So um, I'm all for seeing more competitive racing, and and as I, I'm more conducive to drivers being run wide on the exit. Um, to, you know, not penalizing that so much, unless, of course, you run somebody out onto the grass and they have to retire from the race. Um, but when it comes to actually shortcutting the track or going to the inside of the track where you can actually do far more damage because you can you can go in far too hot, you can punt the other guy out of the way that way, um, you know, you can do all kinds of things and steal the line by effectively using an illegal part of the track. I'd, I'd, I'd draw the line very much so at that, which is no, 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 that, that's... 
that's completely unacceptable because that's you know that's effectively cheating when it comes to racing. Yeah, and I mean like Kimmy, Kimmy moved towards him, but Max has the option to lift at that yeah. point. And, and, as I, well. and I think <laughs> and I think it's one of the things that gets commonly forgotten when you start talking about overtaking is that people think that the art of overtaking is all about you know the, the guy behind being ballsy and pulling off a move. But I mean I'm I I I see racing differently, which is. Uh, I I get as much as much enjoyment about seeing a spirited defense from a driver than what I do, you know, seeing a spirited yeah, attack like, from another. You're allowed to defend position, and if you just keep removing things from the armory that says, "Well, we actually don't mind if a guy shortcuts the track to take position because it's good racing," it's like, "Well, how's the guy in front?" It's like, yeah, it's an old cricket, it's an old cricket argument where they keep making the sport more about batting because batting's more exciting than bowling, and sooner or later <laughs> you say. Well, at what point is at what point is it worth even being a bowler if the sport's not for you anymore? Yeah, if you, people if, still yeah. enjoy middle stump going through the air as well. They, they definitely do. So if um you know you've you've got to be able to say, and it was the problem with DRS for a long time as well, where it was making the art of defence like we were talking about earlier, the art of defence completely pointless because you get to a straight and the guy breezes the guy breezes straight past you anyway. So yeah, um you know there's. We've seen some great defences over the year. I think um, you won't remember fondly Enrique Benaldi and David Coulthard at Monaco um, yeah. a number of seasons <laughs> Actually, ago. I didn't get to watch that race, but I, obviously I know about it now. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes even if it's not for, even if it's not even for a point, if it's not for anything, um, the art of defence is something that, that goes unheralded uh, many times in the sport because we all like seeing the great overtake. But people should be celebrating the fact that you know, by the same token of Max gaining that position, Kimmy Kimmy was compromised by having to let Seb go, so he lost a lot of time. Yeah. If it wasn't for him having to pull over for Seb, Max wouldn't have caught him. Um, wouldn't have got anywhere near him really. Uh, and you know, so Kimmy's race was compromised by Ferrari, and then you know Max caught him, and Kimmy had to hold on in a suboptimal situation to get keep that position, and he did. He did so fairly. Max overtook yeah. him, not fairly. So why why is it just all about Max Max being upset about it and not going, you know what, good on Kimmy. He's not always the sternest racer in the pack. <laughs> in fact, he's usually not even in the top 15 of sternest yeah, racers in the right. pack. He's... But he, he held on, so good on him. So Yeah, anyway, nah. Yeah. I think on that one, like, yeah. I think Max did a good job defending Lewis for a little bit there as well yep. in that race. Like, we, defending, watching defendings. Yeah, like you said, just as just as good as watching attack. So, anyway, it, um, whichever side you you go for, um, I think the right decision was made. So, yep. got to move on with it. Agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> the other thing, the other couple of things we saw out of the US before we move on to events of Mexico was first of all, Carlos Sainz made his Renault debut and immediately made Jolly and Palmer look like an absolute scrub. Yeah, like straight into Q three, point straight away, like. Yeah. He was right on Hulkenberg's pace. So. Well, I think he, he was... Uh, I know Hulkenberg's weekend was compromised due to p- the power unit penalties he had, so he didn't really run in qualifying. But he was yeah, yeah he was definitely just as fast as Hulkenberg. Uh, yeah, in, the, in that weekend, I don't, I don't think he was quite as good in Mexico, but no. but you got to give him time. And, and But the, anyway, the reality is Hulkenberg's been in that seat all year and, and he's not a Muppet. It's not like... Some other guy has been in that seat all year and signs us off him. It's Nico Hulkenberg. So yeah. um, he did extremely well to get as close as he did I think it shows, uh, in America. I think, I think it shows for the for the most part that Renault have a 
if they build a decent car next year, they are going to be formidable in terms of the strength of their driver lineup. They have they have the potential to have a driver lineup just as strong as the Verstappen Ricardo driving lineup. And um, and if they actually do make a decent chassis next year, um, and their power unit you know maintains the performance curve that it's been on this year, they will be a significant threat to regular podiums. I think next year. I think uh, next year is going to be. I think teams like Williams and Force India. They are going to have bad years. I think. They're going to have yeah. This this is for me from what I can see. Unless Mercedes do something drastic, which I doubt, because starting to get to the diminishing return point. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think Williams and Force India. This is their last year as four and five, and they'll be more like six and seven or seven and eight even next year. I see. I see next year. We. Are, I mean, obviously, we'll we'll. we'll talk about more about next year after after Abu Dhabi we'll have a special about what we think for next year and then obviously we'll have coverage during preseason testing but I think that um I think next year is shaping up well for McLaren and Renault um to make significant strives forward um and uh it Toro Rosso will be a dark horse depending on what on what Honda bring to the table uh you know uh, yeah uh, look I think I think Torosso will save um, Force India Williams bluffers next year because they're they're going to them having Honda is what's going to keep yeah. Force India and Williams above water, I guess. I also have significant concerns for Haas and how because I think that they'll they're in that same category where I don't think that they'll make gains next year. They're more likely to, to stagnate um, and uh, the same situation yeah. as Sauber. So, oh, look, Sauber will probably make a step forward, but well, I don't think they can... have a better power unit, but yeah. Yeah, I just don't think they've... They don't have the money. ...got enough to... Yeah. They don't and have they, the money. They turned down Ferrari's... Um, what is it? Non-registered parts or non-listed parts or something that they were looking at, um, which is pretty much what Haas does. Um, they decided against that for next year because it's too late in the design. Yeah. So um, they're probably compromised in a few areas there not being able to take Ferrari parts so Taub will have a better year but all things being equal they you know they might they might get up to Haas but you know that's still ninth and 10th so. yeah yeah all right so um and what else did we see in the United States obviously I was there my first ever trip to to the yes. states and uh, I was at Coda I uh, had beautiful seating position at uh, turn three four five six it was uh it was a great weekend, and I'd just like to take the take a minute to acknowledge that the Circuit of Americas is an extremely well-run facility. Uh, it was it was smooth there. Uh, the American fans uh, were great, um, if not a little lack of knowledge, um, but that was uh, that was certainly to be expected. Uh, they embraced Formula One, which was great. The crowd was really big. The grandstands were the grandstands were chock were chock full. Um, and, uh, the drivers were super popular in the, uh, in the arena in the middle of the track when they were there, uh, got some, some funny video of, uh, Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen, uh, messing around with the lasso. That was, uh, that was quite funny to see. Um, and no one kneeled for the anthem. (laughs) So, um, no one took a knee. No one's going to give Hamilton a knee. No one took a knee. So they got, yeah, (laughs) but it was a, it was a super well-run facility. Austin is a beautiful town. If anyone's ever considering about, uh, Popping, de- popping out to Texas to check out the Grand Prix would highly recommend it. 
Uh, it was a very well run event, and uh, got to ride in a yellow school bus to the track every day, and that felt like I felt like I was in a TV show from when I was growing up. Back at school, well, no yellow school buses here in Australia, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great. So and uh, the uh, the intros, what do you think of the driver intros? Uh, sort of difficult to follow at the track. Uh, so we had a couple oh, okay. of, we had a couple of screens that we could see. Obviously, we heard the announcer. Um, so I thought I thought it looked okay, but pr- I wouldn't want to see it at every race um, because it yeah, just, I think it just doesn't, yeah it doesn't suit the tenor of Formula Formula One I don't think. But um, hats off to hats off to Liberty for trying. They've tried a number of things this year. For the most part, it's been positive. They've done a couple of things that I don't really like very much. I'm not necessarily a fan of the um, park the car in the grid and then interview the drivers on the. Uh, on the on the straight whilst the mechanics wheel the car away yeah just on that like hamilton was world champion and we'll get onto all that crap later the moment he got out of the car that was stupid that was that was bad he parked him there and then they got dc's like got a microphone shoved in him now sure we want to hear from the new world champion but i'd rather watch him soak up the emotion and be with his team and stuff like that and then hear from him yep and get to see that emotion because that's you know that's what the sport's all about. Yep, yep. All the great scenes of like Alonso getting out of the car in 05 and screaming and well, when, when did, Michael when, did, when he won his yeah, titles like yeah. when did they think they we were, were going to get robbed of that? Yeah, when did when did they think we were going to get the better interview out of him? Uh, right at the, that when he's rushing to get to the team and he's just giving fob off answers, or after he's had that celebration, actually has some time to sit with to, you know to talk to DC and not be in a hurry to get out of there. I mean, to me, to me that's that was that was awful. DC, I thought DC uh, effectively almost bullying him into question into answering questions was in a was was not right. Um, and the way they spoke to the other three just straight after the race, straight out of the car. I didn't like that. I prefer to see the drivers get into the cool-down room and, and get the, catch their breath, um, have the podium, and then and then you can ask the questions. I actually don't mind the podium interview so much. Um, uh, but, well, yeah, but the, but that was that was bad. What they what they did, what they did like after that. the race was bad. They should have let Hamilton go celebrate with his team and then, and then have him on the podium afterwards and then ask him questions up there after he's had a t- chance to celebrate a little bit and soak it up. Um, because you never. What's the point in asking him questions straight out of the car? He's gonna be like, "Yeah, man, yeah, it feels good. See you later." You know. Yeah. Yeah. It was pointless. Um, but yeah, we'll get to that. But as I said, hats off to Liberty for trying things this year. They've certainly done more this year to enhance the spectacle of Formula One than FOM and the FIA had managed to do at any point over the last decade. I feel that not everything's going to come off. Not everything's going to look. Um, not everything's going to look as as sharp and cool as as uh, some of the other things they're User doing. Your channel timed out. But uh, it seems like Matt's gone. <laughs> so I'm just going to have to sit here and uh, and carry on. He's... All right. So, yeah, just to, just to finish off my thoughts on that, I didn't think that the... Um, that the, uh, the um, uh, the post, the post-race interview with Hamilton was, was effective, and I hope they don't... I hope they, they take that as a, as a uh, thing that they... Probably shouldn't do that again. <laughs> so, anyway, I'll see if Matt's uh, able to be dragged back in here. User was moved to your channel. Good. Oh, almost a solo presentation there. It was. I was just finishing off my thoughts. It was very awkward. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what I, what I wanted to say was um, it's it's better for us that we get to see that emotion. Like it, 
they can't use the excuse of, oh, we put a microphone in front of him because that's what our viewers wanted. Like, that's not what we want. I don't want to see that. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't really get it. And I hope somebody told them that that was the wrong thing to do and no, that they no, don't no, do no, it no. next year. All right, so um, but we'll finish off the US thing. So the, the the highlight for me for that weekend was obviously being at the track. The weather was great. Like I said, it was a, it was a great experience to be there. Would certainly consider going back to Coda again. Um, and uh, yeah, the, I was only irked by the Verstappen's, both Max and more importantly Yoss's reaction um, after the race that I, I felt wasn't wasn't very uh, wasn't very cordial and and it was a bit unbecoming of them. Yeah, but, you know, I think, yeah, just in the heat of the moment. They would, they would have forgotten that now after Mexico, so it's all water under the bridge. Yep, well, Mexico resolved all of it, so might as well uh, might as well go on and talk about Mexico. And uh, what a heck of a race. I mean, starting with qualifying, it was uh, it was stunning. Like, uh, you know, that was it was it looked like early that Mercedes were, were pretty strong, but then we hit Q2, and all of a sudden... Verstappen was half a second faster than everybody else and it was just it was crazy and in the end he couldn't get the pole position because Sebastian yeah. pulled out a Sebastian lap it was a terrific session and it was great to see Mercedes sort of take a back step to the, to the Vettel Verstappen battle um you know it was a it was it was great to see it's been I think it's been quite a while since we saw something qualifying quite that quite that special and unexpected as Seb actually pipping Verstappen right there at the end yeah, and just shows you like when the cars are so close, like they are now. Those top three cars are starting to get really close together. Um, how how important it is to get your lap together because uh, I think Max did have ultimately a couple of tenths up his sleeve to um to get the pole, but he just didn't execute the lap, and there were reasons for that. Obviously, the the tire thing and the warm up. Um, routine and they didn't quite get that right i think but um in any case seb seb did put the lap together and he was rewarded with the pole position so it was a mega lap and that was his 50th pole and he's now 20 behind lewis but obviously it's <laughs> been a while since he's been a dominant car yeah. but for me um seb's been just as impressive as lewis in qualifying this year he just hasn't had the, the quickest car in qualifying but he's like, you know, you can't say, oh, oh you know, Kimi's out qualified him a lot of the time. You know, yeah, sure, he beat him in Monaco. As far as I'm concerned, Seb, Seb's done an awesome job in qualifying as well. And that was another really, really good lap. Yeah, I think that Seb's done a tremendous job this year, full stop. It's just, a, you know, he's, he, his season will, will be blighted by, um, you know, what happened in Azerbaijan um, and obviously what happened at Singapore, even though, you know, that was a sort of a mutual accident between between a couple of cars there um yeah you know but his season would be blighted by that and uh, you know and by the same token hamilton hasn't had those problems either from yeah. an accident perspective or a um or from a reliability perspective so, but but i have to say like in terms of weekends as a whole and and driving performance seb seb has been on the pace every weekend yep. especially relative to his teammate now you could say that Kimmy's not as strong as Bottas or or whatever, but Lewis did have, and it was a long time ago now, but he did have those off weekends when Bottas won the race. Yeah. Russia, Russia, Spain, and Spain. He yep. did have 
he did have those off weekends. And uh, I think Spain wasn't one of them. Actually, I think he won Spain. But um, uh, yep. But but Seb hasn't had those. Seb's been on top of Kimi all day, every day, every weekend. Sure, he made the stuff up in Azerbaijan, and you know, arguably Singapore was his fault as well. But he has not put pace wise. He's not been off with the fairies at any Grand Prix this year. And you know, he would have been a worthy world champion as well. But um, yeah, just just the, you know, a season is everything. It's not just how well you drive. It's it's your team and um, little things like like Azerbaijan and Singapore and just. You know, you've got to you've got to put everything together. And he, as a team with Ferrari, they were lacking compared to Hamilton and Mercedes in certain areas. But I can't I can't fault Seb's driving this year. He's been he's been awesome. Yeah. So sorry when I said Spain, I didn't mean Spain. I meant Austria. So Bottas won in Austria. Yeah, Austria. Yeah. Um, and Hamilton was fourth. So you know he was he was beaten by both Vettel and Ricardo that day. Yeah. Um, and there was only a couple yeah. of races. Like, but but two is enough in a championship. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I think that I think that the 2017 season will look back on Sebastian Vettel kindly with the hat with an asterisk next to Azerbaijan for what happened there because that was that was pretty bad. Yeah, um, and he threw away a win there. More yeah, well, yeah. not only that, he he did something very very unbecoming of a professional race car driver. Like that was was pretty unacceptable. But um, you know, it was it was just a shame that the that the championship's been decided three race three races out from the finish um, because. It really did deserve in the in the first part, in the first three quarters of the season. It really did deserve to be one that went right down to the wire, um, and it's just a shame that we were sort of robbed of that close finish with uh, a bit of Ferrari unreliability and um, you know and then the accident at Singapore. So uh, yeah, it could have been a classic, but hope we've got next year to look forward to, and we might see a classic next year. So probably. So, all right. I think we'll... Yep. Uh, so the first couple of corners at Mexico were quite interesting <laughs> with uh, with uh, Hamilton, Vettel and Verstappen uh, battling it out, which in the end saw obviously contact between Hamilton and Vettel that saw them both into the pits after the first lap, at which yeah. point that was really the point that decided the, that ended the championship right there when Vettel had to pit as well. Um, you know, and it was probably, it was probably a good thing in that it wasn't one of those things where Seb got away with it and Hamilton had to pit, uh, and you know you had contact between two championship leaders, and you know it, it goes on because of of a bit of misfortune for Hamilton. Um, I think he definitely deserved to win the championship this year, um, but it would have been it would have been unfortunate if he had have had to make that pit stop and Seb had to continued on one race and then you know it closed yeah. up the last two races. So um, it was probably quite fitting in the end that it, that it went like that, um, is, even though it ended the championship a little bit early. But uh, I got to say that that Seb's drive back through the field uh, was tremendous. His pace, even a pace advantage over Hamilton, he was on fire uh, to to come back from. Yeah. You know, I know that he after the pit stop, I think he was twenty four seconds ahead of Hamilton, so he already had a significant advantage over him. Um, but the way he slid uh, through the pack, he was far superior to Hamilton getting through traffic. I can't. I, can't, I thought it was less than that when he. When he got out of the pits, uh, I think it was quite significant because Hamilton had a it small was, lap. It was so. small, yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, and then and then you know Seb got up to fourth, and Lewis could only manage you know ninth or or tenth or what. He was very close to ninth, wasn't he? It was eighth. Where he was, yeah, yeah. He got Magnussen in the end, I think. Yep. But um, yeah, it was yeah. Seb did a tremendous drive. Like you couldn't 
again, you couldn't fault him. Uh, the first the first lap thing was yeah. I think in hindsight, maybe a touch clumsy from Seb. He got yep. he got shoved out by Verstappen, and then Lewis capitalised as well. And I think Lewis tried to go around the outside and kind of got balked a little bit by Verstappen, just slightly. And and Seb kind of mixed with an oversteer moment and trying to get on the power early to recover his spot from Lewis, just went into the back of him. Um, so it was just. It was just one of those things. Um, uh, bloody Sky and people tweeting Sky trying to say that, oh, did he do it on purpose? I mean, that is ridiculous. Sorry, There's ridiculous. No, there is no way he did that on purpose. And, and I doubt, you just looking at the incident, how clumsy it looks, you can tell it's not on purpose, but you've got these idiots on Twitter tweeting in asking even thinking that it could be on purpose well it's even even like... hamilton asking the question over radio right was i was at deliberate and it's like well, of course it wasn't he busted yeah, but... as as brundle was quite rightly saying in, in a battle between a front wing and a rear and a, and a tire the front wing will lose every single time and sometimes you'll get a puncture yeah. it was it was a it was a silly thing it was a silly thing to suggest but he asked it because in his head he's got this thing after azerbaijan that seb is out to get him and even in the driver's briefing uh, for Mexico, he asked the question, oh, Seb cut the track deliberately at turn whatever on the out lap in Austin. Um, he gained three-tenths through that corner. Um, why, why wasn't he given a penalty? So he's eating at him like even in the, the driver's briefing. And then Seb's looking around going, what the hell's going on here? Like, I just, I ran a bit wide. And and now he's like dobbing on me, like it's yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. being back at school. Like Lewis has just been, he's just been picking at him the whole year. Like again, the Malaysia thing when he took a lift back to the, yep, to the um didn't leave his steering wheel. Didn't in the leave car. his steering wheel. Lewis mentions it in the drivers briefing. Yep. Seb runs wide. Lewis mentions it in the drivers briefing. Somebody like he's comes. been yeah, yeah. It's just ridiculous. Like. Oh, mind, you, mind you, Hamilton's always been a little bit like that from a victim complex kind of thing. He's always, oh, yeah. he's always played the, he's always played the, you know, the always felt like the, the um the the world's out to get him kind of thing. Um, you know, there's a couple of infamous comments in his past where he might have suggested that the world was out to get him for various reasons. I'm thinking of Monica and Stewart. <laughs> so, um, but. At the same time, you know, it's like uh, it must be very difficult. I mean, he's a guy who's operated at the top of Formula One since he's been in it, um, and I think it's very difficult to see see life from the bottom of the mountain when you've always been at the top. If you know what I mean, I think it's... yeah, and he's got a massive fan base. Like, oh. who would be feeding him this stuff as well? <laughs> like, yeah. I think they... I think there's I think there's a I think there's a portion, and I, and I'm not being critical of him here because I think it's just a natural life experience thing. Anybody who's who you know who well in any kind of career is the same. I think there's a there's a certain element of um there's a certain element of experience that comes from struggling. Um you know, and and um I think that for a guy, you know, Vettel's driven a garbage Toro Rosso. Um you know, he spent time racing, you know, really at the back for a whole season kind of thing. Um, yeah. um you know, Fernando obviously, you know, when I think he he probably learnt more in in 2008 going back to Renault and struggling. Than what he did in 2005, 2006, and 2007. Um, I think that yeah. you know, there's there's a certain it, it, all the other drivers on the grid have had that time in a, in a 
garbage midfield car with no shot at victory. Whereas Hamilton, as he's proven, because he's won a race in every season of his F1 career, uh, and even in his junior career, he was always in top teams. Um, and, and, and as I said, I'm not having a go at him because he's got the talent. He deserves to be there. I'm not saying for a second that he's hashtag blessed or anything like that. Um, what I mean is that I think there's a certain level of experience that comes from struggling. And I think that in Formula One, Hamilton's never been in that position for a long period of time. Obviously, he's had 2009. The McLaren was crap at the start of the year. It was winning races by the middle of the season. I mean that for an, for an entire season of having uh, where you're just racing to get a couple of points. He's never had that in his career kind of thing. He's always yeah. been able to fight for podiums and wins. And to be honest, like for that first half of 09, you can't say he handled it that well. Yeah. Like he was he was out in Q1. He was asking for a new car. He was frustrated as hell. But then, you know, it came good pretty quickly. So yeah. everyone I mean, forgot I, about that. But it's, it's, not hu- it's not a humbleness because Formula 1 drivers aren't humble. Like that, that top sportsmen just aren't. Like because they're just... Yeah. Because they're treated like demigods. But... Um, and so it's very difficult to be humble in that regard. I'm sure they are on some level, but not like a, not like <laughs> an everyday person is. I mean, you know, I, I'd, I'd be the same. Don't worry. I'm not saying that I'm in any way morally superior to them because, you know, we're all yeah. the same in that regard. But I think that there's, as I said, there's a, there's a certain experience that comes from racing when there's not much on the line. And and Hamilton's never really had that in his F1 career. He's always been pretty close to the pointy end. And so I think it's very, very easy to fall into the trap of thinking that everybody's out there sniping to get you because you're at the front of the pack. And that yeah, some, that's sometimes fun. you forget that some people are just out there to, to race. Like they're just, they're just, they're not looking at anyone in particular other than getting the best result they possibly can. Whereas Hamilton's always had a target on his back because he's always been at the front. Yeah, exactly. And Seb's just doing his own thing there. And, you know, Azerbaijan was was definitely something that shouldn't have happened. Yep, and yep. and he did uh, and, and, yeah. put an action towards Lewis. But that's just, you know, that's not every day. That's just a one-off thing that yeah. happened. Yeah. And, I, and, I think, yeah. and I think that there's a perfect, there's, there's a, if you need, if you, you know, for anyone who might be sitting out there thinking, oh, Webby, you sound like you're full of crap. You've only got to look at the relationship between Hamilton and Rosberg to, to, to yeah. see what I'm saying is that the whole time, Hamilton was Hamilton was um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He was always nervous. He was always suspicious that Rosberg was plotting against him within the team, whereas Rosberg was just there doing the very best he could and trying to shut out the relationship with Hamilton and not wanting to talk about the relationship with Hamilton, not wanting to talk about the championship. He never Rosberg never acted like he was the hunted, whereas Hamilton always acted like he was the hunted and that he had to he had to protect himself yeah. from Rosberg. Yeah, like I'm sure Rosberg played games. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely sure, sure of that. I'm sure, I'm but, sure he definitely did. But you know, for example, the moving of the engineers at the start of last year. Yeah. Hamilton plays himself the victim in that. Why does he play himself the victim in that? Well, he had a bad start to the year, and now all of a sudden his his mechanics changed. That's the reason for it, which is complete bullshit. But Rosberg took that at the start of the end and took it into an advantage where in, in actual fact it would have been equally difficult for both of them of to have to change engineers and do all that like that that wouldn't have been it's not like nico got better engineers or better mechanics like you're it's mercedes i'm sure that they've got the best of the best across the board yeah. not oh we'll give our good mechanics to lewis or we'll give our good mechanics to nico it doesn't doesn't happen like that yeah but Lewis took the what you just said, like Mercedes were out to get him, yep. which is yep. just like you know. Even Malaysia after Malaysia last year, if you go look at his comments after the race, I'm sure he looks back on that that now and regrets it wholeheartedly. But it is it's it's symptomatic of 
of the perspective of his first reaction is to always defend because he's always been the target. Whereas a drive, yeah. a driver like Vettel, a driver like, and Seb spent plenty of time in a top car, but like he's also spent time in a not top car. Um, and I think that you know, there's a, as I said, there's a certain, there's a certain experience. I'm not going to say maturity, but there's a certain experience that comes out of really struggling for Formula One and racing race to race just for points. Um, that it's an experience that Hamilton doesn't have. And if he ever has that, if he ever actually has a couple of seasons where, or a season where he's in a garbage car, he's got no side of victory, doesn't get a win, he's struggling for podiums. I think that he'd be a better driver on the other side of it because he'd realize, wait, I'm not, I'm not the pointy end of the arrow with a target on my back. I'm just another dude out here to race. Um, and I, I, I kind of feel like in the same way that Fernando got better after he got out of front running cars. Um, and that if he came back to one now, he'd be he'd be super fast. So, and I yeah. think even Vettel, if you want an example, Vettel in his Red Bull days, yeah, he was petulant and carried on a bit and all those kinds of things in the top car. Since he's gone, since he's you know he got beaten by a teammate at, in 2013, he's been at Ferrari. He's had to basically start from the midfield and work work his way back up again. I, I from a personality perspective, he seems much more level-headed now than what he was back when he was when he was you know winning four championships in a row kind of thing i feel like he would handle like 2010 with his incidents with weber he would handle that very differently now as a you know as a driver who's been through that maybe he would but i, yeah. I look i mean last year he got on the radio a fair bit and he was oh, yeah he does that he you know, but that, i mean that's... um i just think he's he's not like scared like hamilton appears to be of everyone Seb can can hold himself up and you know, Lewis talks the talk like throw throw wherever you want next to me I'll I'll race anyone sort of thing. Yep. He talks the talk, but but in reality he's full of. Um, well, I mean he's had three. Like problems. he's just he's had back three. Of his head. He's had three. You know, obviously he had all kinds of issues with Fernando equally as much Fernando as it was Hamilton, and the team cultivated that problem by Ron yep. Dennis by Ron Dennis not. I mean, I've always said this, but you know, Ron Dennis didn't handle that situation correctly. I don't think. Um, yeah. Uh, and obviously, he had his issues with Jensen. As much as they're friends, there was the infamous Twitter sharing of telemetry and all those kinds of things. Um, Canada. Yep. Yeah, that. Yeah, and Canada, where 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 Jensen put him in the wall. Um, yeah. And uh, deliberate. Yeah, yeah, and obviously he had significant issues with Rosberg, and I can't really recall any driver on the grid who's had a number of issues like that with multiple teammates uh, like yeah, that. Yeah. Obviously, Vettel and Weber didn't get along as teammates, but Vett, Seb's never seemed to have any problem. He didn't have any problem with Ricardo, and he certainly hasn't had any problem with Kimi like that that we've seen. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't want to harp on. We're, we're not bashing him. No, no, no. As I said, it's not a criticism of him. I, I, what I mean is that it's just a, there's a certain experience there um, of being being not the not in the best car on the track for a long period of time and having to, you know, and having to find out. And you get conditioned like that. Obviously, he has had the he had the best car for three years straight. This year, he's had arguably the best car. Uh, yeah. So. Uh... Anyway, um, but he did win his fourth world championship, so he equals he equals Sebastian Vettel and Alain Prost as a four time Formula One world champion. Um, yeah, and, and he and he fully deserves it. He like, definitely, he definitely. He's does. a worthy world champion for this year. Do yeah. I think it's his best championship? No, probably from what we've discussed already with how Bottas is at the start of the year, he's outpaced on a couple of occasions. 
I mean, I don't, um, it's really difficult so, to say because I did because I think that his hardest his hardest one championship was two thousand and eight. Yeah, I'd actually go with fourteen to be honest. But yeah, well, fourteen he dominated. He smashed every. He, he like Rosberg couldn't really hold a candle to him in twenty fourteen. Yeah, I think fourteen was a real mental slog, and I think oh eight he lost a lot of um, you know, he got penalised a couple of times and. McLaren. But by the time he got yeah, to, yeah. but yeah, by the time he got to Brazil, like I think he had it under control. It was just Brazil was such a crazy race that he, you know, it ended up going down to the wire. But I think um, for me, fourteen seemed like a slog, like just one bashing the other, the other one wins, then the next week the other one wins, and I think somehow by the end of. Um, uh, before Abu Dhabi, he found a way to get on top, but it was only just before the end, after a year of fighting, and you know that they had the double points as well, which made it a bit scary for him. But yeah, at what what I'm getting at is, I think it just you know after the summer break, when Ferrari kind of had their issues and and loose. You know, winning winning Spa when he didn't have the quickest car, like um, winning Singapore when you know three people in front of him got taken out and um, Daniel had a problem with his gearbox or whatever it was. Like getting those two wins on tracks that he could have lost at, um, plus the reliability problems, like it really it really helped him out. Yeah, and, and, and plus, he, plus when push came to shove after the summer break, he. Uh, you know, he he accelerated past Bottas. At a yeah, exactly. Pace. Yeah, he 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 took Bottas apart in that in that section. Like that's when he was like four or five tenths in quality, or even more. Um, and then he took full advantage of all those things. Like you can't begrudge him that he's a deserving world champion. Definitely. But I just don't see that this title was quite as difficult as maybe other ones that he's won. And Fernando said as well the exact same thing. You know, no teammate to bother him this year. Um, had it a bit easy. And and we'll see next year what it's like. But he, yeah. he deserves to be world champion and he deserves to be four times world champion. He's, All right. Well, you know, well, Saturday is amazing. Yep. So, uh, obviously, we'll finish off with uh, Verstappen. Verstappen won the race. I think uh, it's one of those things where it's no longer rare or it's no longer a surprise to see Verstappen at the top. Uh, he's clearly yeah. he's clearly got talent. The other thing I wanted to say to you was that do you remember at the start of the season, sort of in the first in the first three or four races, um, you know when the when the pundits were constantly talking to Christian Horn, Christian Horner about the uh, the Red Bull and you know they obviously they were underperforming and he said after the summer break we'll be winning races on pace, not not yeah. not by accident. <laughs> Not by mistake, and I and, and you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that I I believed what he said, but he was right, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's happened the last couple of races, but if you look back from Malaysia, what was before Malaysia? I can't remember off the top of my head, but was it Singapore? It's been yeah, Singapore, Malaysia. Well, even Spa. They were, they, were, they were quick at Spa. Yeah, they were quick, but I don't think they could have won at Spa. No, no. But you've got Malaysia, Singapore, Japan, Austin, and now Mexico. All races that Red Bull could have won and have won two out of them. And not only that, them. not only won them because they were there or thereabouts, but won them legitimately on pace had yeah. the race gone their way. And that, 
And that's like even further ahead than they were, even closer than they were at the end of last year. So yeah. they've really stepped it up in the last the last four or five races to the point where, you know, if the season had started then, they'd be legitimate title contenders. Yeah, and so, but, um, and so we know that that, 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 that that move forward is not only their chassis, it's also the, the Renault package has improved immensely from the middle of the season onwards because we've also seen Renault take a step forward as well. Um, yeah. You know, obviously... But very quietly. Like, I haven't yeah, heard yeah. any sort of big upgrades or anything like that. But, well, they, they, but very they, quietly, they have moved forward. They, well, after they replaced the MGUH, because remember they started the twenty the, the season with the 2016 yeah. MGUH. Um, they moved forward to the new one. They've taken steps forward. They've Red Bull's had constant developments because obviously they've taken power, power units quite regularly. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's... They... they they're likely to be a force to be reckoned with next year. If they continue this upward curve, you would think that the season being the way that it was, I mean, you know, Ricardo and Verstappen were out of the championship a long time ago. So you would think that Red Bull would be the least likely team to move forward because they're not fighting for the championship. No car development focused on next year. Um, yeah. You know, and you would expect it to be Mercedes and, and Ferrari to stretch away at the end of the year because they're battling they're battling out for the title. But instead, it was Red Bull who's made all the gains in the back end of the year, whilst Mercedes and Ferrari would be still developing. So it, it the hallmarks are all there for Red Bull to have a very strong 2019, uh, 2018, yeah. I would have thought. I think everything carries over this year, unlike yep. last year. Yep. And, you know, you can keep developing and it still, still carries some relevance. So yep. there's incentive to keep doing it. But, but 100% Ferrari, Ferrari and Merck haven't had the... Definitely haven't had the um, rate of development that Red Bull have had, particularly in the second half of the year. Yeah. And I think I think we saw it coming to a certain extent. I think me and you mentioned in a previous podcast, uh, you know, if Ricardo gets, I think it was around Silverstone time, we're like, you know, if Riccardi can can get a couple of wins and a few more podiums, like he's kind of within reach for the championship. Yep. Because he'd been, you know, pretty consistent up until that point, whereas Max had all the... But he's had the I mean, then he he's been, he got a bit unlucky after that and had a few had a, had a, like you yeah. said, a gearbox problem. At yeah, and Red Bull, yeah. Red Bull didn't quite develop as quickly as I thought. But this is what I was expecting. What we've seen the last four or five races, probably what I was expecting a yeah. little bit yeah. earlier. But probably combination of their development and Renault's development that's yeah. happened at yeah. this point of the year. It's but just 100% a, next year's. Yeah, yeah, it's just a ju- it's just a juicy thing to think about that we could very well have three teams in contention for the championship. And and you know when you've got a driver lineup of it, it's going to be interesting because you've clearly got on pace at least the back half of this year. It looks like Hamilton's got a got a you know got half a second on Bottas as much. Um, although the start of the season probably indicated Bottas was going to stay closer. I don't know why he's fallen off so much. Uh, clearly, Vettel's faster than Kimi. Um, but the Ricardo and Verstappen are an interesting pair because they're both incredibly quick and both incredibly canny racers. So if you, if, you, if you even sneeze and allow one of them to the front of the field, they will beat you all day long. Yeah, they're going to be a handful next year, both of them. Yeah. They're just going to be difficult to deal with. I mean, I, I do fear a little bit for Ricardo, and I think it, yeah. uh, Greg sent me an email about this on Monday and oh, kind good. of agreed him, with him. It was good of him to at least <laughs> contribute vicariously to the stream. He's done. He's contributed via email. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, we we both kind of feel that Daniel, we fear a little bit for Daniel in that. Max has really got the momentum now um, and and the hype as well. 
Yep. And I think that that does add a little bit. And Daniel, Daniel's very quickly being looked at as, you know, they re-signed Max, and and now Daniel's under a little bit of. He's not. He's not in a bad. Uh, I, uh, I, th- I think. I think he's not in a bad spot. Yeah. But you know, I, he's. Yeah. All eyes are on him. Like you know, he he needs to beat Verstappen now, so Red Bull can go. Yeah. Yeah. We we really want you here, but if Max keeps beating him. Then they're not going to give a shit if he goes anywhere, because yep. you know they'll just get signs in, and they've got Max, so who cares? I think he he really he needs to arrest this qualifying slide firstly, yep. that he's kind of in with Max and has been in this year, and and just get on top of him there a little bit more, and then hopefully that'll help him deliver in the races when when you know finally both of them are racing together. I'd, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see one. him win. Win in one of the last two just to get just to get a bit of his own uh, yeah get a bit of a uh, get a bit of that swagger back into his step um, yeah just... yeah so I think that uh, Red Bull's improvement at the back end of the year has been incredibly impressive and I think it bodes well for next year I really hope they can uh, they can keep it up uh, and that Renault are going to go ahead and uh, you know keep developing that power unit to to be more on parity with Ferrari and Mercedes um, and using that as a segue. Uh, to have a quick chat about the release today of the sports proposed regulations for 2021 and beyond. Uh, I'm not sure if you've read them yet. Yeah, I did. So, I've read yeah, your, that and some reaction as well. <laughs> what's your initial reaction to it? Um, I don't. I don't know what to think. To I don't know what to think in the sense that I'm not sure technically of a few things. The first thing is the rev limit increase. Some people say it's 3,000 RPM on top of what they run at at the moment, which is like, you know, 11 max sort of thing. That'd be a 14,000 RPM sort yeah, of yeah. in I've that got, range. Yeah, I've got my own, I've got my own taken out, but I'll let you finish. I think, I think I know what it or, means, but yeah. Or the 18,000, um, you know, the current rev limit's 15,000 and they increase that to 18,000. I think, I think what they're looking for, uh, I don't know if they'll actually increase it to 18,000, but I think what they're going to do is relax the fuel flow limit. Yeah, they and, will do that. Yeah, and they'll relax the... Um, they're going to give them more engines per season. And I think that their their hope is that if we do that for you, can you please rev the engines out to 15,000 revs, please? Yeah, they they have to do that. And and um, the, the other thing was the removal of the H, which I'm getting or I'm reading different things and I can't really remember what was said earlier in the year when they discussed it. But um, they did, they, they the did. removal of the H with regards to the engine sound, I got Craig Scarborough tweeted saying, oh, it doesn't really make much difference to the sound because it's attached to the turbo, but it doesn't really, it's not really muffling the turbo. And then you got an article from Mark Hughes that says, oh, removing the H removes the muffling of the turbo and we should get a better sound. So right. I don't know where that, yeah. sits with regards to the sound. I mean, it certainly takes the complexity out of it, which, you know, Renault and Honda have struggled with. But then reaction is that Ferrari and Merck want the H still there. And and I think for the sake of competition, Merck and Ferrari need to kind of let that one go. Um, the H is a great bit of technology, but well, to me... I mean, Ferrari are arguing for the H, and yet in 2013 or in 2012, when I was framing the rules, Ferrari didn't want the H. Yeah, so look, because they've, they've got a good handle on it now, Correct. That's of the course only, they're That's arguing. the only reason they want it. 
Same with Merck. They've got a good handle on it. It's their big advantage. Oh, you'd, ex- you'd expect you'd expect Merck to argue, argue hard because, the, like you said, the H is there is the performance differentiator. Yeah, it's, it's got to be. And But I don't want the H to be the, defor- the performance differentiator because as far as I'm aware, and somebody might know better than me, but a lot of the top supercars on the road don't have the H. They've got the K and they've got varying... Oh, they don't—they um, don't rev cars out hard enough on the road, or run them, run them, run them hot enough to for an H to be of any value. So, so the H is just a great piece of technology that can't be used anywhere. Yeah, it's got so two, it's got zero it. road, it's got zero road relevance because you can't you, you can't really fundamentally put it into a road car. Um, and all it is 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 a huge performance different, different, differentiator. It's the most complex part. I mean, the complexity of the piece of equipment is amazing, but it doesn't make the sport yeah. better. It makes the sport worse. And so, there's a lot of people on Twitter who are going, "Oh, I'm disappointed the H is gone." No, but I, but I'm like, you you can't like disappointed for what? There's the H, the H. You can't can't have the H there because it's just because it's a great piece of technology. Correct. Like when you look at a McLaren P1 or a LaFerrari, which don't have the H, and no one looks at that and go, "Oh shit," you know. What what a dino car! Yeah, to me, what a to dinosaur me, technology. Yeah, like, to me, to me, they could have put a whole bunch of stuff in there, and as long as point number four was in there, removal of the MGUH, I was going to be happy. I hate the MGUH. I mean, I think that the that the complexity of the technology is amazing. I think that that what Mercedes and Ferrari and Renault and Honda have achieved with it is just is just phenomenal. It's fantastic engineering, the the efficiency they get out of it, but the fact that it's going from the sport, I couldn't be happier. Because I freaking hate the thing. Because all it's yeah. done is given Mercedes a massive advantage. Uh, it's made Honda look like dumbasses for for the last four years because they haven't been. They able are. To, yeah, <laughs> no, but it's the MGUH is their problem. It's it, it it's the it's the it's the generation yeah. of the power and the deployment of that power. And if you just take the H out of it and you just go now, you've effectively got a, an overpowered or a very powerful Kurs unit. Hey, yeah, everyone can handle that. Everyone they've been doing Kurs for nearly ten years. So. Yeah. Um, and that can be a differentiator. For sure. and will be a differentiator. But, I mean, so, but power units for me get stuff. They shouldn't be a differentiator. Car, the car is a differentiator for me in Formula One. It should be. Um, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm happy for the power unit to be a differentiator, but only as a percentage of the yeah. differentiation. And the percentage is too high at the moment. I mean, what we've probably seen this year is that Mercedes have no better than the third best car on the grid as a chassis maybe even the fourth yeah. best if you consider the McLaren. fourth yeah for sure um <laughs> the mclaren is clearly a very very good car um once they've sorted that they sort of their aero after the summer break and they've taken a big step forward from car performance wise whilst honda haven't taken steps forward at all um yeah and uh and you know and yet they've been able to to continuously win qualifying through a the brilliance of hamilton over a single lap and b magic engine modes <laughs> that nobody yeah. else has got like they've got you know they can turn up a huge amount of power and i think that there's a there's a few things about this i'm not seeing anything really negative in it would i have loved if they'd gone back to a v8 or a v10 of course i would have was it realistic they were going to no they were never going to do that and it's a bloody yeah, shame because i would have loved to have them to go back to it but um you know the fact that they're a Getting rid of the MGUH to, to, to simplify the engine. Uh, B, 
you know, they, they, they're, you know, they're, they're going to standardize the energy store and a control electronics. Great idea. Good for the, good for the, for the small teams, as is the plug and play element that they're going for, where they're saying, you know, teams, it should be fairly standard. So a team can switch engine suppliers from season to season and not have to completely redesign their entire chassis kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. And not only that, if you can mix and match, so maybe you can buy your gearbox from Red Bull or from Williams and then also have your power unit from Mercedes kind of thing. I mean, I think that's a good that gives that that's competition. It's capitalism within this within the sport. I think it's a good thing to do. Um, and if they can loosen off the fuel so that you've got a higher fuel flow limit, but then just keep how much fuel you can use for the race um, and let the engines rev harder so they make more noise. Or sorry, they can all they can already rev out to fifteen thousand. No one does it because of the fuel flow regulation, regulation. Um, and because of the fact that you've got to use you know only four engines. Double it. They're, that's what they're doing. And they're talking about six to eight engines for the year. That's a great thing. That's a great idea. Um, you know, and just just to simplify it and to make it more appealing to other engine or other power unit makers to come into the sport and to be competitive. I mean. Uh, you got to think the the Volkswagen Group, you know, are sitting there looking at the at the example of Honda set, and they're going, "Why would we go anywhere near Formula One?" So, yeah. and and everyone knows that Honda's problem, the MGUH, uh, and their vibration issues this year. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, that you know, and their lack of overall like uh, expertise, <laughs> turbulent jet ignition technology, or whatever you want to call it, yeah, so... lean combustion technology. And just yeah, so, every- are these are these regulations going to piss off Mercedes? Yes, they will. Are they going to piss off Ferrari? Eh, Ferrari will hang around. They're fine. Um, I look. I, I think that the 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 moment Mercedes starts getting beaten, they're going to leave anyway. So yeah, look, Toto Wolff like said, this is just a like what from what I translated in German, he basically said, look, this is just a starting point for discussions. Um, but but what he said, in in fairness to him, the main he didn't want to say too much. But what he did say was that this is not going to be cheap to do because no, now yeah. we've got to now we've got to redesign the engine to run without the H and the turbochargers affected quite a bit. Um, and you know it's not, you know it's got it's a V6 with a turbo, but it's not quite as cheap to make the changeover as we probably would have thought. With all due respect to Toto Wolf, I couldn't give two stuffs. Um, well, they, they, I think... They, they, let's not forget, Mercedes and Renault did this to the sport in the first place. So, um, the, the fact that they're going to sit there and bitch now that, oh, it's going to be expensive to design this engine. How much have you invested so far on the current regulations? And the only reason you want to keep it is because you've it's allowed you to dominate the sport for four years. So... Um, you know, if they had have been getting beaten by Ferrari for four years, they'd be screaming from the from the hilltops to do this. Or they, uh, sorry, they would have left already. So, um, yeah. I think know, yeah. p- part two of this discussion will happen next week when they unveil the the financial structure. I guess, for want of a better word, of yeah. the sport and budget caps and all that. Because maybe there will be in that discussion a way that is sustainable for these guys to start developing their engines without going into a massive spending research and development war straight off the bat yeah i mean i mean they've deliberately kept the the rules vague um in what was released today to stop teams and manufacturers starting already designs like they just said turbo will be limited in size oh what's the size like no one no one knows anything really 
it's it's kept very conceptual so that no yeah, one can start just, doing stuff. So I just I mean I read what Toto said today and it was completely it was completely understandable everything that he said and of course he was going to say those things. But I look at that and say yeah, but it's not like the the, the power unit they introduced in 2014 was going to be the power unit until Armageddon. Like it's not going to be the power unit to the end of time. Sooner yeah. or later the rules are going to change. You're going to have to invest money to design it or you're going to have to leave. So um, if you don't if you don't like it, Mercedes. Go away. I don't care. Yeah. Like, I mean, if, you, if you're going to sit there and whinge to say, oh, you know, we're, we're not happy that we have to do, we have to design one of these v, these these 1.6 litre V6 um, turbos to work without an MGUH, I couldn't care less. So d- then leave. I, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, look, look, they'll stay. I mean, yeah, if, yeah, it's yeah, too it's, much of it. They're killing it in the marketing department. Like, I mean, and, how, do they, you know, if, how do they think Honda feels? I mean, Honda's yeah. how much money has Honda spent to get nowhere in Formula One over the last four years? Yeah, the H technology for it to go, like they've busted their balls, crushed their reputation. I, I'm sure they're. And then I'm, H is going. <laughs> I'm sure they're having a bit, a big Matsuri in in Sakura. Like they're having a huge celebration <laughs> in Sakura, saying, "Thank God the MGUH is dead in a few years' time, and we can forget about it." Because, um, it, yeah, I mean, as I said, it was completely acceptable. But the the argument saying, "Oh, this isn't going to be cheap," eh, then don't spend the money. Then then just go. Um, because uh, Formula One can't afford to have something like the MGUH, which decides championships on its own. Um, yeah, and and I think you know they'll have if 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 Porsche like this is Toto Wolf talking, but if Porsche like what they see and Audi like what they see, or you know Lamborghini like what they see, the sport is, aren't yeah. going to hand the sport over to them. The sport like, is... they're not going to go. Yeah, you guys walk in and you become world champions, and we'll just watch you like. They're like, fuck, we want to be the German manufacturer. That, you know, yeah. we don't... BMW... Uh, Merck don't want to lose to BMW or, you know. They, yeah. Yeah. They'll spend the money. They've, sport, they've the won't made is, enough fucking money yeah, I mean, the out sport, of the last four years. The sport is bigger than Mercedes' wallet, right? So if they can do something that attracts more power, more more players to come in and at the cost of getting a BMW or a VAG or or, you know, an Aston Martin, for example, if the cost of that is that we lose Mercedes, eh, pay it. Yeah, look, look, it it won't get to that because the structure, the costing structure, the financial structure they'll introduce next uh, next week, I think, they'll, all the teams will go, oh, okay, yeah. we get it. It's going to, yeah, we're going to get sort of compensated for it eventually. Yeah, I mean, if they agree to that structure, then, you know, people will just cop it on the chin. I've seen, I've been, you know, I've watched iterate you know i've been watching formula one for a long time so it saw the v12s come to an end and well the turbos come to an end and then there was some 12s and then there were the 10s and then then there were the eights and now there's the v6 turbos and you know the you've got to spend money to be part of the sport and you can't just go well you know we want to keep i mean the, the people who would be defending Mercedes in that position are the same people who are probably criticizing Ferrari in 20, 2012 for arguing against a move to hybrid. You know, because Ferrari's going, yeah, oh, we're going to have to spend all this money. He's going, oh, you're just a dinosaur, Ferrari. You just want to keep using V8s. So, you know, I look at Mercedes and I go, hey, you're dinosaurs. You just can keep an engine you know how to win with. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, at... anyway, back, back to the point of, yep. you know, what, like, those are the questions I have. Will... Will that rev limit be enough to make it sound decent? And will the H removal be enough to make it sound decent? Uh, I, and I, and yeah. how and you know, upping the fuel flow limit and how much fuel they're going to carry have to carry more to to be able to run the race. I think they can't. 
leave it at 100 kilos because then you'll just be fuel saving for the whole race. So they're going to have to up that as well. And how does that affect the car? Like we're, all of a sudden the cars are going to be heavier again in the race. Carry another, you know, 20 kilos of fuel or whatever it is. And it's just, you know, less, it's just, can less, they... just less ballast. They'll be fine. Yeah, they're on the weight limit. They are really on the weight limit. And they will save some weight. Apparently, they'll be 10 kilos lighter. Well, but they've got to put more fuel in. So they won't, have as much, they won't carry as much weight with batteries with energy store because they won't, have, they won't, yeah. be, they won't be generating as much. But the K will be bigger. The yeah. K will be bigger. So I think that's why it's only 10 kilos lighter, which is, you know, they can balance it out and put 10 kilos more fuel in when they increase the fuel flow rate. Maybe they run with 110 or 115 kilos of fuel at the start of a race. And then we end up with similar sort of performance to what we have now. But um, yeah, just, just a couple of little questions like that that need sort of answering. Yep. But I think in general, realistically, is a single turbo with a bigger K better than, you know, a twin turbo? I think the twin turbos sound crap. So potentially a single turbo with higher revving is might might be the way to go with engine noise. Drivability, the but... drivability will also fall off as well because the MGUH, the way that it, the way that yeah, it handles plug the, turbo, the gaps, yeah, it yeah. move it removes the turbo lag, so you'll you'll lose some drivability. But once again, if it's the same, for, I'll sort that out. If it's the, same, if just... it's the same for everyone, I don't care. Like as as yeah. long as as long as they open up the sport to competition and they open up that they make the sport more appealing to other players, that's the thing that matters to me. Uh, and of course, the other thing is, will anyone be watching after the Halo comes in? <laughs> Is anyone going to care? Like, is anyone still going to be watching the sport after three years of a Halo? Look, to go back a little bit to what we were talking about before, you're watching Verstappen, Vettel and Hamilton, all three go into turn one on the weekend, which probably didn't notice it at the time because I was wondering well, what's going to happen here. But watching it on replay again, it was pretty awesome to watch those three going into turn one side by side. And imagine so, if you're throwing an Alonso and a Ricardo, and it's yeah, it's a good race. Like next year is gonna, you know, the Halo's coming in next year, but there's so much to be excited about from the racing point of view. Uh, you've jinxed it now. You know what's gonna happen. We're gonna get the winner testing, and Mercedes is gonna be second a lap faster nah, than everyone nah, else. Nah, they, they won't. Uh, I don't think Alonso will let it happen. Oh, <laughs> Halo, he holds the world in his hands. All he's, right, we've managed to, we've managed to drag this out for um, for a, an hour and ten minutes. So uh, I think we'll call it. They will cover a lot of stuff between the two of us. I, uh, I think I'm in need of a drink now. So uh, thanks for your contribution tonight. I feel like we had a good chat. Good chat. And we uh, we nutted a lot of things out. Yep, plenty to talk about, and we'll I see think, what happens. I think we should just drop the other two and just keep it to the two of us. Yeah, well, um, I've been following the sport longer than they have anyway, so. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm older than all of you. All right. Yep. <laughs> we'll take care, everybody. Thanks to everybody who tuned in. And uh, don't forget to subscribe on uh, on the YouTubes and, and on the iTunes and on the SoundClouds and all those kinds of cool platforms. Leave uh, some comments. Leave some comments. Send me your questions. Only, I'm happy only, to answer. Only the good ones. Yes, definitely. Um, be sure to, to... I know we're a bit sporadic and uh, unpredictable at the times that we broadcast, but... Uh, when we are, we do stream this live. So if you, you know, if you join in, you can ask us questions. Always happy to answer, no matter how bad the question might be. I mean, we usually have Lucen here anyway, and uh, he's a bad question all on his own. So uh... do not tweet me whether Seb hit Hamilton deliberately or hit you deliberately. <laughs> it's uh, it's certainly not hashtag Ask Crofty. We will yes. uh, we will actually talk about things other than conspiracy theories against Lewis Hamilton, and. Uh, 
Yeah, that's that. So we have yeah. a um, we have a we have a the next race being Brazil. I think is not this weekend. The weekend after, uh, it's a terrible time zone to be in Australia at the moment to try and watch Formula One. But uh, we've got two races to go in the season. Let's hope it ends well. I'd like to see uh, you know, I'd like to see a uh, another win for Ricardo and another win for. Is this a final thoughts thing? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do a final thoughts. We'll get there. So um, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll, we'll see some good races. But yes, final thoughts from you then, Matt. Final thoughts. Uh, well, the it should be an awesome end to the season with three teams fighting for the win and no championship to worry about. So Seb and Lewis can close the door on Max when he's side by side with them going into the center S. And um, yeah, looking forward to to that battle recommencing with the gloves being off. And what sucks, of course, is that Ricardo's likely to have a back of the start, uh, back of the row start, uh, back of the grid. Maybe start, I don't know. Say. I think they'll have to wait and see with that because it was a new engine. I doubt the turbo just went bang. Maybe something yeah. wasn't quite right with the way it was all set it up. It wasn't connected properly. Like, yeah. like the Ferraris, I forgot the lost plug. the turbo. Yeah, I forgot to plug in a serial cable. Yeah, but, uh, so he might be all right. Yeah, let, let's hope so. Uh, and the other thing to look for, you know, to look for for the remainder of the season, there's a bit of a battle going on at the moment between uh, the likes of uh, Williams and Renault for position in the championship. So keep an eye on that. Renault in a much better position now with Signs in the second car. They're no longer just a one-car team. Uh, Signs has done a terrific job, and I think that um, you know they're that, that's it. They're a good prospect team for next year. That you know they. They could very well be next year's Force India in terms of you know where Force India are racing this year. Yeah. Uh, and Ocon is stretching his legs over over Perez. That's my final thought. Is that you know that um, the last couple of races Ocon has looked a much better driver than Perez. And yeah, I, and I, yeah, I think that's a trend. Credit to um, also quickly credit to Stroll. He picked up that sixth place, which is kind of keeping Williams oh, yeah. afloat. Stroll, Stroll's doing Stroll, Stroll's doing a great job, and he's been a better driver than Massa, I think, in the second half of the season. Since Azerbaijan onwards, he's he had a big boost in confidence, um, and uh, and he's been a very good driver. Uh, I think that if Williams made the decision to keep Massa for next year, it would be a huge mistake. Yeah, I think it's uh, time to time to move on. Yeah, get yeah. someone else and get someone young in there that you can build with the team. There's someone with a bit of experience, but, you know, I, I, I mean, yeah, I don't want to drag it out, but Kibitza would, would be a good choice. Um, the rest, of, you know, might not be so inspiring, but he wouldn't be a bad choice, I guess, given oh, the I options. Think, so. I think the three the three options on the table for Williams are Kibitza, Kvyat, and Deresta. I feel like all three of them are, are an upgrade from Massa. Uh, if it was me, I'd yeah. go for Kibitza, but I've got to be careful because it's a, that's an emotional thing where it's like I'd really like to see him back. But having said that, he's a tremendously good driver, and I think and yeah. I'd love yeah, to see I'd him love... back in a Williams, and then uh, making Renault look foolish for not wanting to run him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be great. We need Williams' help for that. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that um, I think we we did discuss it earlier, but I think that uh, there's a number of teams who are in for a very very tough 2018, as yeah. the as yeah. the likes of uh, McLaren and Renault and you know they, they move forward and obviously Torosso dark horse they're going to be a fact they're, they're effectively a factory outfit next year so yeah exactly uh, so that's, that, that's not a bad effort for the former Minardi team yeah they've got more they you know it's it's funny when you think about how far they've come and Seb winning for them uh back in 08 you know they one other guy said we're not a bunch of muppets and Torosso oh, good little team so 
And even when you think about like, uh, you know, the Mercedes and where they came from, you know, Honda, B-A-R, going back to like Ligier. You know, <laughs> Ross Braun goes, the dark days of Honda. The dark <laughs> He's days. talking about the back back in the day there, not much has changed. <laughs> Then right. later, nothing's changed. All right, we'll have to let it go. We're, we've got we've gone way over time, but it's been a great chat. So thanks to everybody who uh, who who did listen and will listen, uh, and we'll catch you after Brazil for yet another edition of the Wall of Champions. We'll see you then.